Hey friend, when was the last time you listened to a podcast that told you everything you needed to know to break into or do your work in the field of continuing medical education and continuing education for health professionals? If it's been a hot minute, or like never, you've arrived at the right podcast. In fact, you've arrived at Right Medicine, a weekly podcast that explores best practices in creating content that connects with and educates health professionals. Are you feeling stuck in your work? Are you looking for inspiration from your peers? Are you looking for a way to break into this incredibly rewarding and intellectually satisfying field? Well, Right Medicine is here to offer you guidance and strategies as you navigate all phases of CME and CE creation. Every Wednesday, join me, Alex Housen, a medical writer specializing in CME and CE content creation, as I host thoughtful, provocative, and rich conversations with guests about adult learning, content creation techniques, effective formats in CME and CE, and trends in healthcare that influence the type of content we create. Right Medicine is here to motivate you to learn and grow as a CME and CE professional, wherever you are in the content creation process. If your work involves planning, designing, creating, delivering or evaluating education for health professionals. This podcast is for you. What do you think about when you think about simulations? Mannequins? Flight simulators? Escape rooms? Yes, actually, escape rooms do include elements of simulation. And they're proving invaluable for enhancing learner outcomes for health professionals. Educational escape rooms are playful and often include elements of simulation that mimic real-world scenarios. They contribute to student engagement, cooperation and content mastery. And escape rooms can be used in continuing education for health professionals as a tool for team building, an entertaining way of delivering technical and non-technical skills, and as a way to help learners acquire or refresh knowledge. In fact, they've proven to be even more relevant in the last four years as the pandemic has limited bedside experience for many learners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with nurse educator Martha Johnson, otherwise known as Breakout RN, about using active learning strategies like escape rooms, to engage nursing students, for whom it is also often challenging to connect theory to bedside practice, especially in the context of unique patient scenarios. Martha has been instrumental in developing innovative active learning strategies such as educational escape rooms and card decks to bridge the gap between theory and practice in nursing education. As listener Melinda Carth observes, Right Medicine podcasts are always packed with current and essential discussions. So grab your earbuds, make a cup of tea, or get on your walking shoes and join us for a learning adventure as we make our way out of the maze of PowerPoints into an escape room. Hello and welcome, Martha. I'm so glad Thanks, to see you today. Alex. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast and for just holding this space for both educators and writers. I think that's very important work that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I love the way that you describe that actually as holding space, because I feel like that's exactly part of what I'm trying to do here is, you know, just create that, this space 
where educators and writers can talk about the work that they're doing. Because I think that one of the things that we all have in common, particularly as we're talking about educating health professionals, is we are trying to make the world a better place in one way or another. That is one of the seeds that kind of fuels us and keeps us going, I think. And I know we're going to hear a lot about that today in our episode. Community is an important part of that too. So, Absolutely. So just start us off by telling us a little bit about who you are and how you got into teaching nurses. What is it that you're doing right now? So I have been a nurse for 16 years now. I was an acute care nurse. I worked in every unit in the hospital and eventually found my my place in the emergency department. And I always just gravitated towards students. I would always be, you know, come on and see this procedure. Come and look at these lab values. And I love just sharing with them and connecting what they were learning with what they were seeing at the bedside. And so naturally, I just went into nursing education. I pursued my master's degree and I became a nurse educator at a local technical college. I taught classroom. I taught in the clinical. Nursing does quite a bit of simulation. So I've taught all those courses as well. And then when the pandemic happened, I say that some people were baking sourdough bread and I was creating these card decks (laughs) at my kitchen counter that were case studies. And my business then, Breakout RN, kind of grew organically out of that work. There are so many (laughs) questions I have right now. We're definitely going to get into creating card decks and what that what that looks like what that what that means but just kind of going back to the emergency room for a moment you know we were talking a little bit before we hit record about our experiences as you know in the clinical setting as nurses i was a trauma or nurse so i know what an er situation looks like and to be actively teaching and looking for opportunities to teach in that context is incredibly challenging because it's almost as though you have to work with a dual consciousness. You, you are working with your consciousness as a clinical person looking after patients, directing traffic, trying to kind of figure out what is going on in situations that are often messy and fast Chaotic. and unpredictable. <laughs> and at the same time, holding space for the people that you're teaching and the people sort of, you know, under another wing of care. Can you talk a little bit about how you sort of manage that process of holding all these things together? That's a very good question. I think it really was very situation dependent. First of all, if there was ever a critical situation, you just have to say, observe, this is your time to (laughs) watch. Then, again, coming back to it afterwards, debriefing the situation. And I think even as experienced nurses, there can be situations, patient, you know, a patient crashes. And that debriefing piece is really important and just allows you to kind of process the feelings, but also kind of reflect on your practice, what went well, what didn't go well, 
And we used to kind of have that in the ER, like if we would transfer a patient out, get them up to the ICU, and then you have this huge mess to clean up. (laughs) All the wrappers and vials and everything. And we would all kind of go in there and just kind of, you know, debrief for that 20 minutes while we got ready for the next patient because they the next one was on their way. And um, I think that for for students, that is a great learning experience too, to see active nurses still practicing that debriefing technique. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. That's really important. I think that sometimes, you know, I work in the continuing medical education, continuing education for health professionals field and Something you don't see a lot, actually, I think, in education is a focus on on debriefing and the you know, the importance of that kind of technique for not only not only going back over, you know, did we all do all the things that we were supposed to do? Did we do them in the right order? Did we do them effectively? But as you as you kind of pointed out, processing mm-hmm. feelings because. In those emergency moments, you kind of hold a lot of stuff at bay in order to bring, you know, your rational brain to to the process. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a physiological flood that yes. happens after after the event that you you have to have some kind of way of of managing and, and and navigating through. So I appreciate you kind of drawing attention to to that. Thinking about you know, current education for nurses, what you're talking about is obviously in the clinical setting, in the moment or immediately after the moment. What are some of the biggest challenges, you know, that nurses face in terms of their education today? Well, I think that nursing education, along with a lot of higher ed, is really undergoing a transition or transformation. I think coming out of the pandemic, our profession as a whole kind of had a lot of, we experienced some trauma and collectively, I think we have some some deep wounds from that, that we're still kind of recovering mm. from. And so I think one of our main struggles is really connecting theory to bedside. And students learn so much content in nursing school, but they have to be able to take it and apply it to that patient. They know about, say, high blood pressure. They do assessment. They have meds. There's patho. But then they have to, I just learned this term that it's humanizing that information. And that's putting it into each patient's unique situation, their own context. And I think that that is a challenge for us because Every patient scenario is so unique. And while there are similarities between patients who say have high blood pressure, you know, everybody's diet is different. Everybody's lifestyle is different. Everybody's beliefs around medication is different. And that's certainly a challenge for us as educators to bring that context to the students. Has that something to do with, so I want to try and understand that I mean, it, it it sounds to me as though what you're talking about is building an exercise in clinical yes. judgment, and yeah, yeah, and that's a re- that's a really hard thing to do because you, like you say, you have all you have the theory, <laughs> and you can approach the application of that theory in a standardized way, 
but that doesn't necessarily serve serve the patient yes. because you do need to take all these other kind of so if that's the case are there are the opportunities for i'm going to backtrack a little bit here so when i trained as a nurse you know 100 years ago you know our training was very different than it is now in the uk and very different from i you know the way it looks in the us i think we spent a lot of time in clinical situation we were supposed to be supernumerary staff but the national health service was so <laughs> so strapped for cash at that time back in the 80s that we you know we were actually doing a lot of the mm-hmm. clinical work so that meant we were making clinical judgments from the get go mm-hmm. because often there was no one around there was no martha <laughs> to to teach us to or you. you know hold our hands mm-hmm. in the moment and so you now that's not a great situation cuz <laughs> you're kind of using student nurses to experiment on on patients to some extent but it did mean that you were kind of you know there was a forcing function you were forced to, to make clinical decisions mm-hmm. and do that application of theory to practice in the moment and even learn about right the from theory the after <laughs> exactly exactly and so so i guess my question is I mean, so that's a terrible context because i you know i don't think that's a great way to to train it you know it, it was definitely my experience i know i learned a lot quickly baptism mm-hmm. by fire is a is an expression that comes to mind. But so, but I guess my question is, is that something that's been lost, you know, providing those opportunities for nurses to, to learn clinical judgments? Or is it something that's never been especially well taught, do you think? I think we've, we've just struggled with it. I mean, especially since the pandemic that really limited Mm -hmm. a lot of students ability to be at the bedside and while a lot of programs were quick on their feet we did a lot of simulation we found a lot of alternative learning Mm -hmm. opportunities but it does not it doesn't quite replace that bedside experience and I think we're still recovering from that that limited access during the pandemic. For sure. Can you talk a little bit about what that simulation looked like? Well, it depends on the program. We have a lot of nursing programs have high fidelity simulators. They have birthing simulators. And we can write Mm -hmm. a lot of situations that a student may not encounter at the bedside. For example, you could have clinical on an orthopedic floor, and in the 10 days that you're there, a patient is unlikely to develop a PE. But in simulation, we can have that patient develop a PE for you, and you can kind of see what it looks like, see the assessments, the interventions, the evaluation that happens. And a lot of programs have implemented full simulation classes just to give students the opportunity to have those critical situations and have to manage them. And uh, for clinical folks, for non-clinical folks who might be listening, PE means pulmonary embolism, correct? Yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. No, that's They're also doing very interesting, there's simulations around community and public health now too there's disaster simulations oh, tell me about that mass casualty simulations where 
they also have to work with other students, law enforcement students, paramedic students, and that interdisciplinary approach and communication and teamwork is all incorporated as well. They're also like mental health simulations. So with, they can use an actor or an actress to simulate, you know, a mental health crisis as well. So lots of simulation going on. Yeah. And certainly in the, the CME, CE world, they're, you know, interactive online patient mm-hmm. cases and, you know, various tools to, to boost that simulated uh, experience. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that, you know, during the pandemic, you find yourself creating cards and study sets. Tell us about that. What what was the trigger there? What was the impetus? And what did those cards look like? So my active learning journey has been long. When I was first hired as a nurse educator, I was assigned a three-hour lecture course. And my first lesson... Wow. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> and I and I was assigned fluid, electrolytes, and acid base, which are challenging topics for students. And I did I when I was in grad school, I did some different kind of practicum experiences and I had no experience in front of a classroom. And I did the same thing that my nurse educators did when I was in school, which was just read off a PowerPoint and it was very boring. My students were bored. <laughs> I was bored with myself. And it just did not feel aligned with my views on how we learn. So I just, and we, we talked about this a little before, but we just started experimenting. And I would flip 15 minutes of my lecture to a worksheet or to a small group discussion. And I just kind of grew from there. One of the activities that I tackled then was a educational escape room. And I built this for our hematology and oncology content. And it was a blend of an online form. I use Google Forms and our simulation lab. So and it kind of used the nursing process. And I just started noticing in my, mm. with my peers and in some online communities that I was in that other educators were asking about this. So I just started writing about it, sharing it, and it grew very organically from there into the card decks that I now have. So I've always loved case studies as a teaching tool in theory. And, but they can be kind of dry. <laughs> They're not always very engaging. And so I, I took them and I, I took a case study. I did, my first deck was fluid and electrolytes and I, I made it kind of unfolding. So as you got one card, you got assessment data and then you had to make a choice and then you got a new card and you got lab values and you had to make some choices and it followed you know, the nursing process. And mm-hmm. it it's very engaging for small groups of students. And it's just a different way to kind of present a case study. So I want to come back to the cars, but just kind of sidebar here, you know, I think I know what you're talking about when you talk about the nursing process. It's something that's been around for a few mm-hmm. decades now. 
Can you just summarize the nursing process for listeners, what, what that is and, and why it's yeah, important? So it's just a systematic way that we teach students to go through the care of a patient, essentially. You have assessment, and you, that's where you gather data. Then you kind of organize it, cluster that data together to find out the problem. Then based on that, you decide on your interventions and what action you're going to take. And then finally, you evaluate, which is seeing if what you did was helpful or if you need to make a different plan. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, there's a couple different models for that, but I I think that kind of summarizes all of them, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's helpful for for you know listeners in the CME CE world to to be aware of that. Now let's go back to the cards. So is this a physical yes. card deck or have you moved that card deck online? Okay, so it's is tell us how it's designed to be used because it's it sounds like a pretty unique teaching. Tool. Yeah, so students they scan a little QR code first, and it I have like a minute video that just tells them how to use it little instructions. And then they have a start card and it gives them a patient and it just kind of follow the cards. Each card directs them to the next card. So then they, again, they get a little more information with each step and I can connect it to, I have QR codes throughout that I use to connect to online puzzles where I can do a little more alternative format questions that are similar to the licensing exam that nurses take. And Mm. I can have a little more freedom to, to show, I can show a lot more information obviously on a web page than I can on a little, you know, three by five card. So it kind of bounces back and forth between the deck, physical deck and the online puzzles that they, that students can access on their Mm. phone. And are these for are these cards for a lot of different topics, or do you focus in particular yeah, areas? So I am, you know, what does that look like? I have two clinical units right now, so I have a more advanced five patient case study that's fluid and electrolytes, and then I have a more basic fundamental level that's a surgical unit that has four patients, and then. This last year, I started adding individual patients. So I have like a MI case study, schizophrenia case study, an OB, and COPD. And then I'm just adding a community leadership deck this fall coming out soon. <laughs> so who uses your your decks? I typically... My customers or my clients are usually nurse educators or nursing programs, and they purchase them to use with their students. So the students are the end users. And what about the escape rooms? Do they do they look different? I am not very familiar with escape rooms. I have to say, I know there's, I know they're incredibly, they're becoming more and more popular in CME mm-hmm. and CE. So talk to us a little bit about sure. what it looks like. An educational escape room is a little different than an entertainment escape room (laughs) that you see in your community. But there's a few key pieces that when I talk about escape rooms that I like to highlight. One is that an educational escape room has very clear objectives, learning objectives, 
it should always be previously learned knowledge. It's an application exercise. So it should not be new information that the students are are trying to figure out. Mm. They should be applying it. They should have learned it already. There should always be opportunity to practice skills, things like math calculations, IV insertions, assessment, and also it can include training or education about certain professional behaviors like teamwork, communication, leadership, functioning under pressure, and time constraints. Those kind of skills can also all be highlighted in an escape room because typically it has a time limit. So, (laughs) But the second piece that I think is very beneficial in using an escape room as a learning tool is the storytelling. And Mm -hmm. humans love story. We've learned through story for thousands of years and we're like hardwired to just understand a story and an escape room you can really build a great patient story a great environment for that patient to live and breathe in and it just sticks with the student so i think that a well done educational escape room really uses that storytelling piece to to make that learning stick. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Martha, in terms of, you know, how much how much detail do you include to support that storytelling and, and what kind of details, you know, help help with the sticking part? You know, you know, one of the things that content developers in the CME CE space do is spend a lot of time creating patient patient cases that are, you know, use real world settings, they're authentic Mm -hmm. they use real clinical data and you know they they provide feedback formative feedback in order to you know help students kind of course correct so in an escape room situation what are some of the details that you find really helpful i would say it's very similar using like you said clinical data anything that looks like feels like what they would encounter in a clinical setting you know if you can make your lab sheet look like how it would in the hospital or the documentation that they do is similar to how it looks in the hospital. Using a face, like rather than just a name, they have a face. In my decks, they're Mm -hmm. illustrated faces, but I know a lot of people will use, you know, actual photos of people, photos of skin conditions or photos of the actual medical equipment. And mm-hmm. the other piece is really adding to the patient's background. We can give them mm-hmm. not only a medical history and a med rack, but some social context. You know, what's the story leading up to this? Do they have any social determinants of health, health disparities, if we can bring that in? Because that all Mm-hmm. adds to the the depth of the patient. Yeah, depth is a great a great word actually I think because that that immediately sort of conjures you know the idea of a real a real patient and gives gives substance yes. to you know to the 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 case the the escape room. So you know I think you've kind of broken down your framework for creating escape rooms uh, a little bit by going through all the different 
elements that you include when you're putting an escape room together. Are there any other pieces that need to be, that you would say need to be part of an escape room to make it a really effective learning tool? I'm just trying to think of a good. (laughs) Yeah. And you probably, I think you probably, you covered a lot actually. So, you know, we can circle back around to that if, you know, if if that's appropriate. Well, let me ask then, you know, you've created this, these unique learning tools, cards and escape rooms. And you, I know what I was going to ask you, actually, before I forget, you mentioned that the cards are illustrated. Do you do that? Does someone no, do that? No, I have, you? I have an illustrator and I actually work with a couple of different illustrators, but my newest one, she and her, it's her and two of her friends and they actually they all have a master's degree in medical illustration, which I did not even know was a career path. (laughs) They do such beautiful work, but they have to know and understand all the anatomy and patho Mm. behind their drawings. And it's really incredible. Their work is very detailed. My decks are not, there's not a lot of anatomy in them, but they, they, mm-hmm. it's still great to have them as part of my, my team because they understand the medical aspects of what I'm working to communicate. This episode of Right Medicine is brought to you by Right CME Pro, a membership-driven community that provides skills, scaffolding, and support for medical writers who want to create CME content with confidence. Write CME Pro gives you access to expert perspectives to help you build your CME writing skills, a portfolio accelerator to hold space so that you can create stunning samples to show your prospects, group coaching to help you build foundational and expert knowledge in CME, and more. Write CME Pro is a community for people like you who are ready to grow their CME writing niche or niche, if that's how you say it. See the show notes for more details. Oh, I'll bet they're beautiful. I, you know, I'm sort of remembering back to, I guess, history of medicine lectures when I was an undergraduate student and looking at, you know, detailed yeah. drawings by Vesalius and, you know, various other kind of BC <laughs> guys, <laughs> you know, who, who, who did all those amazing, you know, anatomical yeah. drawings to, you know, support the work of the, the early anatomists, mm-hmm. Galen, I guess, I can't remember names now, but early anatomists who were you know, dissecting the human body and, and, and trying to kind of build up that layered picture of what the body mm-hmm. looks like on, on the inside. And there are some truly extraordinary yeah. illustrations. And I, I, so I, I, I want to see pictures <laughs> <laughs> of, of the cards. I think uh, listeners will be interested in, in yeah. that as well. We can, we can try and put yeah. some in the show notes if that's so, or a link yes. if that's appropriate. So. Uh, just kind of sticking with, so you, you're really invested in active learning strategies and, and developing these active learning strategies for for nurses. Why? <laughs> what's the benefit? What do you see? What's the payoff that you see with using these types of tools versus 
the lectures on electrolytes and acid base? Well, it started, like I said, it just, the lecture didn't align with how I felt students could learn nursing content. And along my journey, I actually, I have a small database of all the research that actually supports that as well, that active learning really bridges the gap between theory and practice. There's a lot of support as far as student engagement and motivation, and also those soft skills, communication and teamwork that can come from active learning. But I think that, you know, we, we are very social beings and I think we learn a lot from discussing and sharing. And I don't know if you're familiar with the, the book, Minding Bodies by Dr. Susan Rock, but she talks about how. No. Oh. I am not, and I I'm kind of surprised because I you know anything with body <laughs> in the title I I usually grab. Yeah, but she talks about how we're not brains on a stick, and how our bodies are very connected to how we learn and how we process information. And I I am not anti lecture. I think lecture can be a tool just like active learning is a tool to communicate. I just don't think it should be the only tool that we use because like you can learn just so much from just a little bit of movement, a little bit of discussion, a little bit of community. Mm. And so I think, I think we just have to keep adding to our toolboxes as educators. Absolutely. And so this is juicy because I, I want to, you know, we're coming up to the end of our, our half hour and, and now you're throwing out minding bodies. And I want to dig into that just just a little bit because that, you know, I, I think I think a lot of people are really stuck in the idea that learning is is just about mm-hmm. cognition. And that text and reading are really kind of key to that mm-hmm. process. But what you're suggesting is, you know, and I know there's a lot of research to support this as well, but we don't seem to be very good at paying attention to it, is that role of of movement and physiological responses, you know, where we're talking about emotions mm-hmm. and feelings and processing those and how critical those are to learning. And then the social component, you know, there's a whole kind of field of theory around social yes. learning and, you know, how important that is for, you know, kind of reinforcement and reflection and, and all those things. So in an online context, where a lot of people are doing their teaching and learning these days, and is certainly, you know, a kind of dominant mode in uh, CME and CE. How can we pull in some mindful body work? How can we pull in some movement or some of those other aspects of learning? That that's a very good question. I don't know that I have the answer. I know one belief that I have around online strictly online learning is that there needs to be that community and social component and i remember when i was an undergraduate we had a distance learning 
class. So there was a satellite campus and all it was, was just the video of the teacher being streamed mm-hmm. across, you know, the state to another class of students. And I think we've come so far since then. There's so many tools that encourage interaction in an online community. And I think we've, we've even gotten past like discussion board posts that just the writing piece or using more mm-hmm. multimedia video and audio like this <laughs> to really create a, a sense of community and build relationships with between instructor and student and also between students. So mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I'm not so sure about how to incorporate the movement piece the incorporating your body, but I think that that community piece can be important. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So just to kind of, you know, pull some of these threads together, where do you see nurse education heading and, and, and what are you most excited about? That's a fun question because I'd love to imagine and future plan. So I think that kind of as we were talking about before we recorded too, that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for nursing outside of the traditional acute care hospital setting. I think public health, community health, global health, even environmental health are all going to be arenas that nurses are going to be needed in. And I think we're in a really Nursing is in a very unique position to kind of identify, understand, communicate the social determinants of health in those areas and be a part of the larger public health team. You know, that includes politicians and social work and K-12 education. And I think our, our reach is going to go much farther beyond the acute care hospital. So I'm excited to see that. The other idea that I have is around AI, and I know you just wrote an article mm-hmm. around AI, and I think that it is going to be changing uh, nursing education, but also in the clinical environments that we work in. It's just going to be bedside mm-hmm. tools, surgical tools, provider tools, and we're going to have to know and understand and be prepared to work with those. So I think simulation, virtual reality are going to kind of come to fruition faster, kind of accelerated by AI as far as a teaching tool. And I'm kind of excited to see how that's, how that's going to look. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I just, uh, I sent out my newsletter today and I, I had a little piece in it on an article that I was reading around mm-hmm. augmented reality and how that's already been changing. It was in the context of mm-hmm. medical education. But yeah, sort of AR, VR is mm-hmm. it's going to grow, I think, <laughs> with, with out a doubt. And so it behooves us all to kind of get a handle on, on what that, you know, in the education space, what that might, mm-hmm. what that might look like. Just kind of final comments then, Martha, in terms of you know, advice or tips that you might have for nurse educators who are really looking for ways to make learning stick and support what they do in educating nurses? I love to encourage experimentation. 
And it's just trying one active learning lesson, a small 15 minute chunk of lecture, and just noticing how it feels, taking that feedback from students and from yourself, and just move slowly. I think a lot of educators are deterred from active learning because they feel that they have to flip their whole classroom, their entire semester's worth of content in one semester. And that's just, that's just not true. And it took me, you know, I had an eight week course. It took me five years and I just slowly, you know, one activity at a time and through experimentation, Mm -hmm. I think we can do a lot of, a lot of good work to continue to educate the, the newest members of our profession. That's great advice. Martha Johnson, Breakout RN, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights with listeners of Right Medicine. Thank you. (laughs) If you'd like to connect with me or today's guest or access any of the resources we talked about, check out the show notes for this episode. They're on my website, where you'll also find additional resources. Find the show notes at alexhausen.com forward slash write W-R-I-T-E dash medicine dash podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Write Medicine newsletter, where you'll find bi-weekly tips, tools and resources to help you create continuing medical education content with confidence. And thank you for listening today. Word of mouth is the most meaningful way we can help listeners find us and reach a wider audience. So please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or a client who might find the podcast helpful. And if you enjoy listening to the podcast, please write a favorable review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or share your testimonial on the dedicated testimonial link, which is also in the show notes.